brief announcement um, before we look at the scripture I want you to join me in looking at. Um, three Sundays from today, Tanner is somewhere. Yeah, all right, he's back in the sound booth. <clears throat> three weeks from today, um, the district superintendent of the denomination that we are part of and the general superintendent uh, are coming from their headquarters in Ohio to ordain Tanner, and they will have the service, and a portion of that will be um, ordination of Tanner to the ministry. He's completed all of his education and done the best we can do with him, <clears throat> um, but we're, I'm very looking forward to that. Uh, Tanner is a wonderful young man, and so we are, I want to keep you alert of that. <clears throat> Be here, don't, don't go hunting or whatever. <clears throat> Several scriptures that I, I might refer to, but just one that I want to read found in Romans 8. And if I, I'd kind of like to read quite a few verses, but I, I think we might get lost if we do. So, <clears throat> in Romans 8, Paul introduces in verse 1, after he's concluded speaking about what's called justification, getting right with God, setting my heart, right with God, delivering us from our sins, the practice of sinning, the slavery to it, and giving us peace and joy based on the certainty of forgiveness and pardon. I can't read um, too much beyond verse 1 <clears throat> until we get down to Verse 12, so then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Just a quick note, when he uses the word flesh here and all through this passage, he is not talking about this. He's not talking about my physical body. It is a Greek word that specifically means earthly, sensual, devilish, sinful inclination of the heart. It's the fallen heart of every human being. Following the flesh means to focus on just the things of this world, the value system of this world, the popularity and approval of this world rather than God's approval, God's values, God's commandments, God's way. So to live focused on the flesh, meaning the things of this world that are wicked and passing away, means death. You cannot live with God in heaven, in other words. We're debtors to Jesus who died to deliver us from that. To live not to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, meaning fear of facing God and of judgment and so forth, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The word Abba, just an Aramaic word for Papa. It is an endearing, familiar term that a child uses to their father, and it clearly implies clear relationship. There's nothing that they're hiding. There's nothing that they're afraid of. There's such affection and love between the two that it's, it's without the word a, affection. It's, it's without fakery. Now, you haven't received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You've received the spirit of adoption, so forth. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, a couple thoughts in the introduction here. There's nothing I can say to you this morning, I think, to effectively convey how desperately important it is that we are certain about our relationship with God. There's nothing more important, more vital, more necessary than knowing where I stand with God. This is something God has undertaken himself to make sure that we know. Equal to the importance of knowing where I stand with God is the unspeakable privilege that our God talks to us. He tells us the state of our relationship. He warns us not to do things that would jeopardize that relationship. He follows us. He, in a right sense, he stalks us every day. And if he knows, as he said, which is an endearing thought, not, not a little sparrow falls to the ground around this whole globe, one, that I don't know it. That, if he pays that close of attention to a little sparrow, what about souls, the lives that he created in his image and in his likeness, and created us for a place for him to dwell. That's what my heart was made for. The tragedy, of course, that is the basis for the death of Jesus, the writing of this book, all the efforts that God goes to is that this high creation 
of humans made to fellowship with God. There is no other creation. There's no other animal or plant that God made but us to fellowship with him. And to fellowship with him and to be in his image and likeness, he had to do, among other things, one thing. He had to give us a free will. He had to create us with the capacity to choose. The power to choose, even to reject the one who created us and reject his laws. That we know Adam and Eve, unfortunately, did. They decided they knew better than God's commands. What he told them to do and not to do, they knew better. And they succumbed to Satan's temptation and they rebelled against God as it were struck out on their own. We can do this ourselves. We don't need God. Well, we know the utter indescribable wreckage that this world is as a result of that. Every every tear that's shed, every open grave, every broken home, everything that we look at today is due to that decision and our own participation in it that we too rebel against God. We do our, our will. Isaiah put it this way, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have, every one of us, turned aside to our own way. That's the problem. That alienated us from God. So what's God to do? He loves us. We can't imagine how much God loves us. I don't believe there was ever an inkling of thought in God's heart to quit on us, to just give up, to just extinguish us and be done with it. He instead, in the very event in the garden, came after us. As soon as Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they knew they were in trouble and they knew they were naked and were ashamed and they sewed fig leaves to cover themselves, in that act, they hear the voice of God who came to the garden and said two things. Where are you? And what have you done? This, this is, there's so much in that very act that demonstrates the ocean of love that God has for us to strike out after us. We're the offenders. He's the offended. But he strikes out after us to redeem us, to draw him back to himself, to get us to decide again, exercise our will to turn away from sin and turn back to God, come back from him, the scripture says, against whom we have deeply revolted. That's God's whole business and part of 
this business to call us back to God. It's what we're doing today, right here. It's what FCA is trying to do. It's what every endeavor at all to try to get people's attention, draw their hearts, and be drawn back to God. Now, God's Spirit speaks to us. God talks to us. I know that a lot of people, you know, they look at you sideways. God talks to me. Oh, really? And you start backpedaling, and uh, i got to go. That's the most natural thing there is. It isn't crazy. Anybody who says, God spoke to me. I'm not talking about the wackos who think they're Jesus. and oh, I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about sober-minded, believing, who say the Lord speaks to us. That is normalcy. The abnormal state that we're in is that we either deny it or seem to never hear it. God's talking to us. Psalm 50 says, The Lord calls the whole earth, that's everybody, from the rising of the sun until it's going down all day long, calls to us, calls to us. Now we label that sense of his word and calling, we call it conscience. It's that internal universal sense. It has varying degrees of clarity with people, but it's that universal discernment. First, that there is something outside of me that's either up there or somewhere. There's something beyond me. Second, that that something seems to monitor and comment on my thoughts, my plans, my deeds, either approving of those thoughts and plans and deeds and ways or disapproving. We, everyone knows what it means. My conscience bothered me or my conscience is clear. Now, we may not know a lot of theology. We may not know any of that, but we know. We know what it means that our conscience bothers us. That is universal. It is the Spirit of God speaking to our spirit. I'm not happy with you. I don't like what you're doing. It's contrary to the laws I set down for, your, for the whole race and by which I will hold you accountable. Really, the kindest, most blessed, loving thing God can ever do is bother us where we can't get away from him every single time. We go against that inner code here of God's law instinctively written in our heart that tells us you shouldn't do that. Don't do that. And then when you do it, it's you feel, yeah, it hits you. It's God's finger. If there's anything 
that is utterly inescapable. That's it. David said, if I go to the ends of the earth, you're there. If I take the wings of a bird and fly away, you're there. When I'm in my house, he said, sitting down, you're there. When I rise up, you're there. I cannot escape God's eye. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, beholding the evil and the good. You can't get away from God. So there's one thing, one or two ways to look at it. When you want to get away from God and you don't like Him bothering your conscience and you know you're doing wrong, we will do anything to try to ignore, deny that God sees me and is talking to me. On the other hand, when we are converted and we become born of God, our names are written in His book in heaven, and we are walking with God by faith and obeying Him, there's no more blessed thought then he sees me. He knows me. It all depends on where I stand with him. You can't hide from him when you want to. <laughs> I'm grateful that he knows every step we take when we love him and walk with him. He doesn't forget us. Now this passage here specifically is about a doctrine that is called the witness of the Spirit or assurance, the doctrine of assurance. It's contained in this verse where, verse 16, where Paul says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Now, notice he does not use the word to. He uses the word with. He witnesses with our spirit that we're children of God. That introduces us to the idea, the truth, that there are two witnesses. There are two sources of testimony that I am a child of God, or if I'm not, one is called the direct witness, that's from the spirit. The indirect witness is my own spirit my own inner heart. Now, what's the difference between these? The direct witness of the Holy Spirit is primary, and it is first, and it is an inward, supernatural impression upon my soul from the Spirit of God alone that my sins have been forgiven, my heart has been freed, that I am born of God, I'm adopted into his family, I am now a member of the family of God, whereas before I wasn't. And all of that testimony to me is God's response to my specific, thorough, turning away from sin called repenting and followed right on the heels of that, of a very specific faith. It is not 
a general faith. Specifically, James addresses this. He said it's not believing that there is a God. And James resorts to a bit of sarcasm there. He said, you believe there is a God? He said, the old King James, thou doest well. It's a snarky statement. He means it that way. In other words, so what? You believe there's a God? So what? The very next sentence, the devils believe and tremble. They're convinced, but they're devils still. So that's not the kind of faith we're talking about. I couldn't tell you the number of times over my ministry of asking people, you know, do you know you're, do you know you're saved? Do you know you're right with God? Do you believe in Jesus to forgive you of your sins and make your heart new? Well, I, I, I believe in God. Now, I'm not as snarky usually as James. <laughs> I don't come back and say, well, so what? But I could, and I'd be biblical. The faith that God responds to when he testifies to my spirit, you're a member of my family, warfare between us is over, the enmity is gone, there's peace with God, there's no, as he says in verse 1, there's now no condemnation to those that are in Christ. What does he mean there? He means that until you are, until you've repented, until you turn from sin and you're sick of it, there is condemnation. Jesus said that. He said, everyone who doesn't believe and trust and follow me, condemnation, he said, rests on them now. So the massive shift from being under condemnation from the God of the universe to his witness and testimony, that's gone. You have peace now with me. The enmity's over. That's the witness of the Spirit, inward impression on my soul. But notice he said there is a second witness. That's the witness of our spirit. And he doesn't say that the spirit witnesses to my spirit. It's with my spirit. And the word there literally means to say together with or to affirm another witness. So two things witness to me, my inner being, that I'm right with God. The second, then, is the witness of my spirit, and that's called an indirect witness. That witness is based not only on the knowledge of faith, it's based not only on the witness from God's spirit that he responded to my repentance and faith and forgave my sins, blotted them off his book, wrote my name in the book of life, but also... This indirect witness of my own spirit confirms the witness of the spirit and also is based on the evidence of the fruits of the spirit in my own heart to me. 
Now, there is no such thing as a witness of God's Spirit in the absence of fruits of the Spirit. This is what I mean. I can pray the sinner's prayer, I can, you know, and sometimes I can have people tell me I got saved, but God didn't. I read of, of a 150 years ago, a little testimony of some preacher, Methodist preacher, and he just he put it this way, he said, I wouldn't even thank an angel if he came and told me I was saved, because he said, God told me. That's higher than an angel. God told me. And what does that produce? It almost immediately produces fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. I'm, everyone testifies to blue skies over their head at the moment of conversion. Peace. They're not afraid of God anymore. Their heart isn't heavy. They're not shielding themselves from God. They're not running from Him. They're not guilty ashamed, that's gone. That, which is both a feeling but a certainty that we see in our lives, corroborates and confirms, you know what? I know God spoke to my heart and I feel different. And that fact that I know I'm different is a further testimony. And we have to have that. Here's another way to put it. If our lives don't change, if there is no complete 180 turnaround in my behaviors, my attitudes, my appetites, my everything, then I don't know what you think you felt with the witness of the Spirit, but it, it wasn't the witness of the Spirit. There has to be a change. A visible, knowable, discernible change. Just, just a very short, simple illustration. A couple days after I got saved, by my bed, my bedroom, was nineteen. Um, I cussed like an absolute sailor. Um, and I can't remember specifically what I was doing, but I just smashed my hand doing something. Can't remember exactly, but working on something. And I stood there in complete amazement that I didn't just exhaust a, a whole bunch of profanity. And I still remember the feeling of I knew I knew God met me in my bedroom, and I knew he forgave me. But there was something about that second corroborating, confirming testimony. I am really different. I, I, I can't take the time, you know, or we'll have the nursery people be storming the doors. That's the one thing that probably frustrates me, grieves me, worries me more than anything else. As I am halfway through my 50th year of pastoring, the lack of definitive certainty 
know where I stand with God because God is the author of certainty. He never, ever will leave us to speculation as to whether I'm where I ought to be with God. Here's, here, here's the issue. We don't ever preach much on this anymore. We're all going to die. Glad you came here to get encouraged. Every last one of us, unless Jesus returns before we die, are heading for Mount Pisgah, the cemetery. And there's only two places for our spirit. Our body will die, but our spirit never dies. It lives on for eternity. There's only two places to go. Heaven, where God is, to fellowship with Him and His people forever, or hell. We don't want to talk about hell, but if we want an example, the best and greatest and most pungent preacher ever to appear on this earth, Jesus Christ, took as a text sermons on hell more than he did about heaven. Jesus talked more about hell than he ever did about the streets of gold. Why? Because the scripture says hell and destruction are always before the eyes of the Lord. How much more than the hearts of men. God knows what eternity looks like. We don't. That's why God is uh, not wrong to use the word. He is desperate to get hold of our attention and to save us the scripture says from the wrath to come that's judgment john wesley founder of the methodists early 1700s we have membership requirements nowadays in our churches and that's fine we want people to believe this and know that and whatever and testify and have a life that's representative of Christ. Wesley had one requirement. And I, I can't get too far off onto this. What a day it must have been for the early Methodists, John Wesley, Charles Wesley, five or six other guys who first started out. You had to get a ticket. I've seen pictures. You had to get a ticket, piece of paper, signed by John or Charles Wesley to attend. He wouldn't even let you in. Boy, that flies in the face of all the church growth stuff. But he said, we don't want anybody except, and this is a phrase he used, those who want to flee from the wrath to come. The whole thing was make sure we don't end up lost in hell, but we make it to heaven. We're too embarrassed to talk about that anymore. And the stark difference, I think that's one of the reasons we got no certainty. We don't want to be certain. Because if we get certain, then I got to quit. But if we get certain, we might find out something about ourselves we don't like or we don't want to hear. Now, I didn't even get to the sermon. <laughs> That's okay. We must have God's Spirit testifying to us 
Let me say this. That testimony from God and the testimony of our lives is continuous. It's not just when I pray and repent and ask God to forgive me and I know he comes into my heart and I'm a new creature. It's not just then. It's lifelong. God is always witnessing. And the word here is present tense. His spirit is bearing witness with our spirit that we're a child of God. Or, and there's a contingency here, and then I will quit, but there is a condition here. There's several conditions in this. This is not teaching. One time I pray and believe, sealed, deal's done. Virtually every place in the New Testament where the word believe appears, it's in the present tense. It is not once and over. It is continual. Whosoever is believing in him shall not perish, but have life. And he said in this very passage, his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God, provided that we suffer with Jesus. That's a condition. You keep believing. You keep walking through fire and water. Floods, he said, but I'll be with you. So the condition of this is not a once settled thing. It is his spirit always monitors us, tells us where we're at. If we're getting off the path, get back on. And our own spirit corroborates it because if we're honest, we see from our own life where we're at. We've got to quit. I'd like to do this since we're over a couple minutes. Let's just bow our heads for a second. And the only reason to do this is, well, there's two reasons. One, to help me to know where people are at, where you feel you're at to pray and so forth for you. Second, it's for our own certainty. Sometimes it's good to just acknowledge where we're at. If we aren't sure, we need to acknowledge it. If we are sure, it bolsters us. So let me just ask you here this morning, nobody looking around, if you'd slip your hand up and, and let's do it this way, you know for certain God's Spirit bears witness to you today that you're a child of God and you're on the road to heaven. If that's the case, slip your hand up and just let me know that you are certain you're headed for heaven. God bless your dear hearts. Thank you. Now, if you couldn't raise your hand, there's awfully good news for you. God's after you. He won't quit. And he wants us to know. Certainty is the basis for all joy, peace, hope, perseverance. How do people face the stake when they're burned for being Christians? Because they're certain. Certainty I must have. But we can. Dan, if you'll come and dismiss us.
Father in heaven, many Sundays, Lord, we stand in here and we pray for your presence, for your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. And I believe, Lord, your word this morning has confirmed that you do that, um, not just in church, but as we walk about this earth until we get to heaven. And I pray, Lord, this simple prayer this morning, that we would just be obedient to what you've witnessed to our heart this morning. As our spirit um, is in agreement with you or maybe not comfortable with where we're at with you, Lord, this can be remedied, this can be dealt with and, and fixed this morning simply by calling on the name of the Lord and asking to be forgiven, asking to be forgiven of the sin that we know in our hearts that we're living in and especially the, the sin that you've confirmed to us this morning and sin separates us from you, and that's why you call us near. So, Father, I just pray for each person this morning that did not raise their hand with that assurance, that they would know that they can have that in their heart today, right now, before they ever leave the sanctuary. Minister to their hearts as you see fit, Lord, and help them to respond as you call them near to whatever it is you would have them do. And for all of us that raised our hand with assurance this morning, Lord, thank you. And may we continue to walk by your grace so that we do continue to have that security and that assurance that we need on this side of heaven to bolster us, to walk upright, to walk boldly before men, and to walk straight in a fallen world. May we always remember it's by your grace that we do that, and may we always do it to your glory. So meet each one of us where we need met this morning, Lord, and help each one of us as we need help. Because I know you're faithful to do, it, to do it. Now help us to be obedient to whatever it is you've touched us with this morning and spoken to our hearts about. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. You are dismissed. Have a great day, everyone.